0: Wow, buddy! You look healthy and happy.
1: Veterinary surgeon and natural pet food pioneer John Burns knows the positive impact a natural diet has on our beloved pets. That's why he developed Burns Pet Nutrition.
0: Hmm, maybe I should try some of your pet food myself. Okay, okay, I'll start with a salad.
1: For natural, no nasty, wholesome recipes, choose Burns Pet Nutrition, available from veterinary clinics and all good pet shops
2: across Ireland.
1: Check out my new show. Nicola Talent presents Getting Away with Murder, live at Liberty Hall on September 20th. Brought to you by MCD. Tickets on sale at ticketmaster.ie.
0: Even Gacy's lawyer said, you know, don't let him leave the building, right? Because he, he knew he's a homicidal maniac. He wasn't the weird guy next door. He was the friendly neighbour that would always help you out. My God, he'd come back from the hospital weeping about some poor child suffering from cancer. And at the same time, this duality, he's he's murdering other kids.
1: I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs, and the sins of the underworld, in Ireland and across
2: the globe. He is one of the most notorious serial killers in American history and the inspiration for numerous killer clown slasher films. Pogo the Clown by Day and Serial Killer by Night. When John Wayne Gacy murdered a man in a Chicago ranch house after sex, he soon realised how easy it would be for him to hunt, lure and kill his prey. Thirty-three murders later, police finally moved in on the sadistic sexual predator and began to discover a serial killer like never before. But what turned someone into a depraved murderer? Today, I'm talking to Brad Hunter, author of Inside the Mind of John Wayne Gacy, about how this killer's motivations, how his youth shaped him, and why the names of some of the victims remains unknown. I'm Chloe and this is Crime World, a podcast from SundayWorld.com. before we get into the crimes of John Wayne Gacy's later years, we're going to have a little look at his life and at the pivotal moments that potentially made him into the sexual predator and the serial killer that he inevitably became. So he was born in 1942 on St. Patrick's Day, which unfortunately is a day I Irish <laughs> since this is gonna to link to now. Remember, it's John Wayne Gacy's birthday. But he was born in 1942, the middle of World War II. So what was his childhood like? He lived with his parents and his sisters. What was his home life like? What was his relationships like at home?
0: John Wayne Gacy, uh, uh, you know, when you start exploring his early life and his childhood and whatnot, and whatnot you can't help but feel uh, a tiny bit of sympathy for the child, his father was a, a veteran of the First World War and probably would be, you know, steadily employed. They were a middle class uh, family even during the Depression, but uh, he, he, you know, had served in the First World War and was brutal. I mean, John Wayne Gacy was named after the film uh, character, uh, the film star John Wayne, uh, as because his father thought it was the uh, pinnacle of uh, American machismo, and. I think probably that he had hopes that Gacy would turn out that way Well, Gacy was clumsy around the house Uh, he was more inclined to like things like sewing and uh, baking and things like that and hanging out with his sisters and his mom and so he was uh, like Brutally beaten and called sissy, and all manner of epithets uh, regarding what the father saw was his. Uh, uh, you know homosexuality even at even at that age uh so and, and that this was already you know a, a regular occurrence at the Gacy home in Chicago and, and you know he saw his mother get her dentures knocked out by the father and the father was John Stanley Gacy he was a, a a real terror and i think probably you have to start start there um uh, so yeah, his, his, his home life and childhood was extraordinarily difficult. And he'd always sought his father's uh, approval and never got it till uh, you know, uh, the early 1960s when he was uh, known as the Colonel in Waterloo, Iowa uh, and uh, managing uh, three Kentucky Fried chicken outlets.
2: So during his childhood as well, which we'll come to that in a bit, the, the his time as KFC a uh, manager there. But during his childhood, he had some health issues as well, which his father looked unfavourably towards.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, is many people of his generation and and a couple later ones, as I can attest is that that you know come on, you know straighten yourself out, but he had a number of issues. He got conked on the head with a swing when I think he was about eleven, and that seemed to uh, seemed to uh, change him and he he spent long uh, times in the hospital with with you know heart murmurs and all manner of maladies but but you know that's all pretty vague because what gacy told people and what you know the the family you know what they say is you know the father never believed any of it even you know even when he was like a, spent a year in hospital and that was for i think something to do with his heart or whatever and he would have fainting spells and different sort of things like that now you know manly men don't faint at least you know, according to John Stanley Gacy, his father.
2: And that's an interesting point, actually, on the, the hit on the head with the swing, because it's kind of a similar, you know, thread that you see through all these serial killers is one thing that people look back at is knocks on the head that they got in childhood. And Richard Ramirez, who was a night stalker, had the very same absolutely accident hit on the head with a swing. Do you think that those injuries, because they say it's, you know, uh, frontal lobe damage can really change the personality. Do you think that that changed John's personality? Oh, certainly,
0: certainly, yeah, I think, I think it did. And, I mean, even at that point, yeah, I mean, he had, you know, he wasn't your torturing animals sort of uh, serial killer sort of uh, sort of thing. He, uh, he you know, he, he had lots of friends, was very sociable, and people that you know, knew him really liked him. Uh, so it wasn't a matter that he was, uh, you know, as such an outcast child by, you know, his world beyond the walls of, uh, of the house on Marmar Avenue. Um, sorry, go um, ahead.
2: So during, sorry, so I'll start that again. So then moving on into his teenage years, uh, he kind of had his first bit of freedom in that he got a car. And there was another incident with his dad kind of using it to control him. Can you tell us a little bit about that, what happened there? Yeah,
0: he was paying his father, uh, I don't know, 50 or 100 bucks a month or whatever, because his father bought the car, and so he was paying him off. And he was, I don't know, I think a couple days late giving his father the money, and the father took away the keys. And and just uh, a very uh, controlling brutal abusive man now on you know i mean you know the the flip side of that argument is is there's lots of people who grow up in less than ideal circumstances but you know you can see where this and, and you know they turn out fine but you, you can see where is Upbringing was less than ideal, particularly obviously since he had homosexual tendencies in that time and place you know you're effectively leading a a, a, a closeted life which you know le- means you know leaving or going into the priesthood or the military or something like that uh, you know he did none of those things he you know seemed to seemed to fight his inclinations um you know to a point now i mean when he was a kid obviously after after he gets hit in the head with the swing you know he starts putting on his mother's uh underwear and and dressing in her clothes and whatnot his father caught him the one time and you know beat the hell out of him and that's uh that's from gacy's one sister who, who who revealed that that you know I mean so he he did he did change and in the teenage years you know he was a very good singer apparently and uh you know he had a lot of he had a lot of friends and he was kind of a normal 50s teenager outside his home milieu right and so but but you know I mean things things are starting to brew for uh, John Wayne Gacy at this point
2: Absolutely, and I guess this whole storm that was brewing around him led to probably one of a very pivotal moment in his life where he fled to Las Vegas and got a job in a mortuary.
0: Well, yeah, he, he just took off one day from Chicago with the car, And took what money he had and drove across the country to uh, Las Vegas. And he had a, uh, I can't remember whether it was a cousin that lived there, I believe, who was a high-paid prostitute in Vegas, as he tells the tale anyways. And he got work in a mortuary and he started getting in the habit of sleeping with uh, particularly the young male corpses who uh, came in on the meat wagon. Uh, and, and, you know, he was kind of horrified, but he liked it at the same time. And, but then he, uh, then it was, you know, time to go back to sweet home Chicago. But, but yeah, these, these things are starting to pop up, these odd incidents.
2: Absolutely. And when he goes back to Chicago, then he's kind of, he goes to college, gets a job, kind of lives a relatively normal life starts to date ends up married to a woman and has two kids and this is kind of a point again where things start to brew once again and we see that there are pivotal moments in his in his life that are going to affect him in the future
0: well he uh i mean he later described that Period of his life as perfect. He finally won his father's approval uh, uh, for one thing, and he was living in a a place called Waterloo, Iowa, which is a small town west of uh, Chicago uh, across the state line. And uh, there, his wife, Marilyn, her father was an entrepreneur whatever and he owned three uh, Kentucky fried chicken outlets and this is the day when there wasn't the days when there wasn't a ton of fast food as we think of it now so they were uh, they were gold mines and he became heavily involved in a service club called the JCs which is a young junior Chamber of Commerce, or I can't remember what the acronym is for it, but uh, but uh, yeah, he becomes very involved in that, in the parties and the drinking, and, you know, it's, a, you know, wife swapping is alluded to, and, you know, he asked other members, you know, do you want to sleep with my wife sort of thing, but at the same time, he's got this army of young boys working for him, and they were all, I mean, he did employ some young women, but they are almost all boys that worked at his Kentucky Fried Chicken outlets, and, you know, he would have them over for, for drinks and to watch you know, the porno loops of the time, uh, and, and you know, eventually one thing led to the other. You know, they would have too much to drink, and he would come onto them and, uh, and, you know, sit you know see what would happen and uh, and you know he bought a guitar for the one kid and the kid basically you know he was he was trading favors and money and things like that for uh, sex with these young boys uh, but eventually that idyllic and you know he has two children apparently very good with kids and uh, but uh, eventually uh, that idyllic scenario uh, comes crashing down, and one of the one of the boys who was uh, the son of a fellow J C. told his father, who told the police, who ended up John Wayne Gacy going to prison for uh, for sodomy, and that's like that's like '69, uh, I think he came out in '71.
2: Yes, he gets he gets ten years and only serves. What, 18 19 months of a
0: sentence 18 19 months but he you know he becomes uh, super con when he's inside he, he sets up a, a mini putt course for the inmates he j- establishes uh, a chapter of the JC's in the prison uh, you know so he's he's a model he's a model prisoner and times being as they were people were starting to take a, a, a a less harsh view of uh, punishment and incarceration and that sort of of thing. And he fell under those auspices and uh, was sprung exceedingly early.
2: So again, we kind of see this pattern of him looking for approval from people by setting up these different things. And I think during his time in prison, he was even on television because he was a cook in the in the kitchen. And
0: that's right, yeah, he became the head cook of the uh, yeah. of the prison the, uh, kitchen all the time. And at the same time, his wife Marilyn has divorced him and has uh, has uh, you know the and uh, you know he never sees his two children again. So that's, that's the state of things. So he gets sprung from prison, and he goes back to Chicago to start rebuilding his life. he moves in with his mother he starts uh, starts working at a cook as a cook in uh, at a posh restaurant in the loop where a lot of athletes came in for dinner and drinks and that sort of stuff and uh, you know he begins rebuilding his life that way then he starts doing side jobs with a company he's formed called PDM Contracting and that stands for uh, painting decoration and maintenance and so he starts, Doing that, he makes enough, you know, with his mother's dough to buy them a house in suburban uh, the plains uh, and uh, the plains, Illinois. And he uh, he then uh, you know then he he carries on. He remarries. He marries a, a childhood friend of his uh, one sister, a woman named uh, Carol. I can't remember what her last name Carol Hoff. I think um, he marries her. And she has three kids, and she's kind of destitute and like that. But she moves in with Gacy. And, you know, to this day, she'll tell you he is absolutely fabulous with her kids. Her kids, you know, um, uh, you know refer to him as dad to this day, uh, you know, in, in spite of all the horrors and whatnot. Uh, but then he starts going out at night. And he doesn't, uh, he doesn't, uh, you know, all hours of the night, And he's telling her, you know, I'm scoping out contracting jobs, I'm meeting people, I'm doing this, that, or the other. Now, what he was actually doing was uh, heading downtown to uh, pick up uh, young males.
2: So during this time as well, he had started doing, I guess, the, the pogo, the clown routine which is something that he is very famously known as kind of the killer clown even though he may not have you know killed while dressed as a clown but this is another part of his kind of life that I guess is pivotal in that he is using his power once again to you know entice people and and he's using tricks that he learns as Pogo the clown to entice his victims as well well
0: sure and he he comes into this part of this thing is this is a gacy always wants to be somebody from the time, you know, from back in Waterloo, Iowa, with the service clubs, and, you know, he had at one point considered a run for mayor of, 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 of that town. But, you know, he's interested in the Democratic Party politics, which are very big in Chicago, uh, and that sort of thing, and he joins the Moose Lodge, which is another one of these sort of service clubs, you know, Moose, Elks, Oddfellows, and that sort of stuff that sprung up in the post Post-war uh, years, you know, basically an excuse to go on Tuesday and get hammered and maybe do the odd good thing, but uh, but Gacy, uh, so Gacy. Um Becomes a member of the Moose Lodge. And one of the guys that's running for the Moose, is the president of the Moose Lodge, is a big player in democratic politics. So Gacy becomes a precinct captain. And this guy also, uh, you know, has an interest in clowns. And so Gacy just starts, you know, doing Pogo the Clown. Uh, Pogo and Patches. There were actually two of them, depending on how he did his face. When he did the the uh, pointed uh, mouth makeup, he was uh, he was Patches. Uh, the happier clown was Pogo. Um, but you know, he said that that was you know part of a, a release for him, and that he enjoyed it immensely. Uh, you know what clowning mean, <laughs> means on the broad scale of things, I'm not 100 percent sure, but that's not you know a, a typical endeavor.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and during this time as well. So he, you know, he's working in his construction business. Again, he kind of outwardly has this very normal-looking life. He's got a wife, he's got the kids in the house, he's got his job, he's volunteering. But this is when he also has his first kill.
0: That's right, and, and uh, he had—he was just uh, Timothy Jack McCoy was a 16-year-old traveling traveling across. Uh, from Michigan to his uh, home, and I can't remember whether it was Oklahoma or Nebraska, but you'd go through Chicago and the old, the seedy old Greyhound terminal in downtown Chicago, uh, which has you know since been torn down, was of course you know a magnet for pimps, hookers, drugs, you know, nefarious characters of, of all sorts, and it was also very close to uh, the gay district or what was then the nascent gay, gay district of of Chicago. So it was a, a pickup spot, and so Gacy went down there, and uh, I think he may have offered to smoke a joint with the kid or something like that, and he took him home. And uh, the first kill was... You know, actually, an accident. Gacy thought the kid was going to kill him, but he was making him breakfast and had a knife in his hand. And Gacy charged him and stabbed him to death, and buried him under the house. Now, at the same time, he, you know, he's married to. He ends up getting married later that year to a woman named to Carol Hoff, and uh, Carol Hoff and her girls and like that. Carol Hoff begins noticing. The smell, uh, and it gets louder and louder and louder. But the interesting thing is, is now he kept up his nocturnal activities. But what we know, not what is necessarily so, but what we know is, Gacy didn't kill from 1972 to 1975. Uh, so he was either dormant or was hiding what he was doing. He was traveling around the Midwest, too, at the time, and to Florida to do various and sundry jobs connected to his company. And uh, and so he was moving around a fair bit, you know. So, you know, and, and what he actually did on these, on these journeys, no one really knows, and so far nothing has been tied to him, although it's been widely suspected that these were killing trips.
2: So then in 1976, like you said, he had been, you know, dormant for a while. We're not really sure what was going on. He did have two murders in 75, but 1976 is really where he ramps it up. And in those three years before he's inevitably caught, he has... Twenty kills, and they're what he calls his cruising years. So, can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, Gacy, Gacy is an interesting aspect of this of this story. I mean, the, the his his victimology was almost uh, always the same: vulnerable young boys and men. Now, he would go to uh, this neighborhood in Chicago, uh, uptown, and. A lot of people from uh, Appalachia, like poor whites from the mountains and things like that, had settled in this area, and they were poor. The children were feral, and you know, I mean, there were one of his victims uh, later on was actually, you know, acted as a pimp for some of these boys who, who may have been so inclined. So he would go down to this area and he would he would get them sometimes he'd kill you know there's a number of occasions where he killed two in a night uh, and he would prowl this area and you know it isn't like now because police didn't one police force didn't talk to another police force and so he's operating in the plains where he murders them but they've been snatched off the street. In Chicago, now nobody knows in the plane that he's killing, but he's taken them off the streets in Chicago. their parents may or may not have you know reported them as, as, as missing, but it's a matter of the right hand not knowing what the left hand is doing. Now, obviously, today, you know, he would have been nailed very, very quickly, probably, but, but at that time, there was, you know, you know the amount of communication. You know, was nil, and and part of the thing is, and, and you know, this should be said, is, is that during that time, that's the mid nineteen uh, seventies, and you know, people don't think that there's particularly young men who think they're made of iron. Uh, don't think that there's people like John Wayne Gacy out there, um, but but of course, you know, we now know that there is, um, and a lot of people, kids, were hitchhiking and. It was a you know bison tail summer in the u s and so there 's a lot of young men, his target group on the road at this at this time and drifting in and out of chicago and and that sort of stuff and that makes them vulnerable and uh that's what he did and of course you know I was saying his you know he does he does at this point he goes from an opportunistic killer to uh to a hunter to to having his uh methodology uh down pat it might be something like you know i mean several of them go to him for work uh and are you know because you know, hey, I've got to gotta catch a bus in four days to Denver. I can make up some, make some extra money, you know, doing, uh, you know, laboring work for this contractor who seems like a nice guy. Mm. Um,
2: the nice guy, of course, being Gacy and his, his company.
0: <laughs> the nice guy being Gacy and PDM contracting. Yeah. Now, there's... Uh, gacy gacy at this point he, so he cruises and he goes down to these spots and of course a lot of these people are like dirt 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 poor and these kids are dirt dirt poor and they're essentially feral and so you know the nice man comes up in the nice car and you know offers to blow a joint with them or something and Offers money for sex or whatever, they get in the car with them, uh, with him, and they're you know essentially done like dinner. Uh, and, and he would get them back to the house, and that's when he started his you know infamous handcuff trick, where he put himself in handcuffs and then say, oh, you know, how am I going to get out of this? And you know, but he has the key hidden and unlocks it, and then says, here, you know, you try and. He's got them in handcuffs, and then usually what follows is uh, you know hours of uh, you know torture, humiliation, and sexual assault uh, until he eventually strangles them to
2: death. And he starts burying these bodies in the crawlspace underneath his house. And you mentioned earlier that his his second wife did start to notice that there was a smell. But how was he explaining this away to other people? Because quite like. Meat or fruit. When a body is rotting, it stinks. It smells really badly. How? Even if you don't know what a, a, you know, a rotting corpse smells like. I'm sure there was a really, really bad odor. How was he explaining that away?
0: Well, one of the things he would do is he'd send down his workers. Well, he started doing it himself, uh, and he would buy bags and bags of lime to cover up the stench. And he would say it's the sewer, the pipes are backed up, and and different things like this, as you know, as excuses. Which you know, um, I think uh, a lot of people after he was arrested said, "Aha, that's what it was," because they would they would smell this smell and and you know by this point too 1976 his uh you know his marriage has, uh you know he's told his ex-wife point blank he wasn't going to sleep with her anymore and that he was he preferred sex with men um uh, so that you know, basically ended the marriage. And when and he had been waiting when she went out of town, he would go hunting. Like he would, she would go visit his mother in Arizona or or different, you know, different things. Go visit her family for the weekend with her girls or whatever, and that's when he would, you know, go hunting. And he would, uh, you know, then bury the the bodies under the house. And for years after, he would keep getting his employees to go, you know, go underneath. The house—it was a crawl space. It wasn't it wasn't a basement in, in, in the way we think of a proper basement. So it was, you know, dirt. And he would—they would be buried in there. And he would get them to uh, to throw lime on there. And he'd tell them, you know, don't go near this. Don't go near that. And he was, you know, quite emphatic about it. Only dump the lime there or here or whatever and uh, so but at that by that point he'd be you know, he'd become a killing machine same methodology in virtually uh, every murder
2: And these bodies obviously as well he eventually ran out of space underneath the underneath the house. So where did the bodies go from there?
0: Well the last I think four or five bodies ended up, uh, he would take I-55 uh, west of uh, west of where he lived and dump the bodies into the Plains River, and they would be found floating uh, floating there. Uh, and that's that's how he did it. I mean, the, him burying the bodies underneath his house is virtually unheard of uh, in the annals of uh, serial killing. That um, it's just it's just never heard of, never. And uh, so, but, you know, was it because he was lazy? Was he collecting? I mean, he he did, you know, keep souvenirs and things that a criminal in their right mind, a killer in their right mind would say, well, I better get rid of the belt buckle driver's license and all these sorts of things, but Gacy kept them, and that was one of the things that torpedoed him when, when the police finally got onto him.
2: So the police did eventually catch on to what was going on, but it was it was his final kill in December of seventy eight that really did it for him. That that kind of you know got him caught out. What what happened there? The victim was Robert Peast.
0: Robert Peast was a straight A straight-A student from a good home in suburban the Plain, and he. Uh Gacy was uh, doing a job at the drugstore where he worked, and Gacy mentioned about needing people to the drugstore owner and everything, and that he paid X, Y, Z, or whatever the deal was, but it was more than the kid was making at the drugstore. So... Uh, Gacy uh, Gacy, what Gacy did was the, the kid went and talked to Gacy and Gacy said yeah, you know, come and, come and talk to me in my car and Robert Peace was never seen again and this sort of, there was a direct link now I mean, there'd been reports in the past about, you know, a number of sexual assault victims who had gotten away from Gacy, right, and now the cops say now that it wasn't homophobia that that did it it was you know more the the word of a respected businessman versus a you know a, a hustler maybe you know for for lack of a better word and I apologize for that but uh and, and but but his his name had come up in the past now what happened no, then was that he told his mother it was his mother's birthday, and he told his mother that he was going to go talk to this contractor, and then he'd be right back and uh, and go to uh, her birthday party and whatnot. But the owner of the store and the and the mom linked the disappearance of uh, Robert Peace to John Wayne Gacy and that was pretty much uh, the the end of the story. Uh, I mean, they still didn't have him, and, you know, they put him on surveillance around the clock to the point where Gacy knew he was being, and, and, you know, he was finding it very unnerving, But and he would invite the detectives following him in to have drinks with him or have a dinner with him. And the two of them went in on uh, the one thing, because they were, you know, they were uh, scoping out his house, and he invited them in to dinner into his house. So they go in because they're saying to they get whatever they can. And the air ducts, the, the uh, furnace kicked in, and whoosh, there was that smell. And, and they, you know, for you know veteran homicide detectives, that smell is unmistakable. They knew what was going on. You know, they came back with a search warrant, and that was it. Even Gacy's lawyer said, you know, don't let him leave the building, right? Because he, he knew he's a homicidal maniac. Uh, so, and that's that's how they caught them. I mean, caught him. I mean, but, I mean, the thing is, is, is that uh, the, the Gacy story just, I mean, he was executed on May 20th, 1994, and and I mean the story keeps going though. There's something virtually every year, some new factoid. The some some one of the there's still five unidentified bodies that the uh, Cook County Sheriff is still actively involved in. You know, identifying, and you know, as it's turned out, they solved ten other cold case murders. You know, in connection with not not from Gacy, but just other things from from this from this work. And and every it seems every year another body uh, uh, is identified.
2: So let's take a look at that then. So there was. 33 bodies in total at the time so he was he pled not guilty by reason of insanity uh he was found guilty of the 33 counts and he was given the death penalty obviously during his time in jail he was you know appealing it and appealing it and doing everything he could until eventually you know we get to the supreme court and it's no you know you're 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 still going to go ahead with this with this death penalty did he, like, some people might think, yeah, you would have to be insane to commit a crime like this. But what was it that ultimately, you know, swayed the jury, swayed the judge in deciding that, no, he wasn't insane, that he was in his right mind when he committed all these crimes? I, I
0: think the uh, what what made them think he was in the right mind was was his, in fact, methodology. It wasn't a matter of somebody snapping. I mean, he, Gacy, for all intents and purposes, I mean, you know, uh, young Robert Peace, that was, that was a slip-up. Gacy was a very, uh, you know, with a, you know, sounding like I'm, uh, you know, throwing roses at him or like that, was a very skillful killer. Uh, you know, he covered his tracks, he put on, he wasn't the weird guy next door. He was the friendly neighbor that would always help you out, that threw, you know, street barbecues, uh, involved with the Democratic Party. My God, he'd come back from the hospital weeping about some poor child suffering from cancer. And at the same time, this duality, he's he's murdering other kids. So he was very good at it. It was just that, that last slip-up. And it was, I think... The, the cold hearted nature of how he went about his business uh, was what swayed the jury. The, it was you know just you know extraordinarily uh, compelling. I, you know I went through all the Chicago Sun Times and Tribunes coverage of of the trial, and it, it makes for absolutely heartbreaking and compelling reading. Uh, But, you know, and as I said, you know, I mean, Gacy's been dead 28 years and still he's omnipresent. There's new theories. There's new facts. There's new things all the time. I interviewed one of the guys that put him on death row a few years ago, and he said Gacy told him, you know, that there's more. That's for you guys to find out. There's more. I think he told uh, Raphael that there was like a dozen, at least a dozen more kills. Um, So, you know, and that's something police forces all over the place are, are, you know, in in the Midwest of the United States are still, you know, are still looking at. There's another aspect. I mean, Gacy, even when he was on death row, was trying to point fingers elsewhere to a number of his employees. And, you know, I've talked to experts who said there's no way the employees didn't know what Gacy was going on, how... Culpable they are for, for these heinous crimes, I don't know. But the, one of the guys that worked for him was a guy named uh, Philip Paskey, who was a uh, was a cross-dresser and whatnot. And he was a lieutenant to a man named John David Norman, who was, in the words of one Dallas uh, detective, uh, the pedophile's pedophile. And he had organized a ring uh, around the United States, which would ship boys... To you know, various well-heeled clients and whatnot. And another one of his clients was uh, a man uh, named Dean uh, Candyman Corliss, who, who who's, who's, killing, was, uh, killing spree in Texas. I think he had 30, 30 murders or something like that. Where it was almost the same template as as Gacy's. It's like Gacy used his template: get kids, get them in. And and rape and uh, murder them. Uh, now, Norman, Norman Paskey and Gacy are all in Chicago at the same time, and, and so it's hard to imagine. And at that point, well, still to this day, even this is that uh, pedophilia is like a, a secret society of you know deeply troubled individuals, and so they would. There's a very good chance they'd know each other. So. Paskey knew Yacy, anyways, because he worked with him. He was Norman's lieutenant, so there you go.
2: And do you think there is any truth in the theory that there was another accomplice? Like, would you be surprised if you know there was some information came out to say that yes, he was involved with somebody else, or do you think that he was smart enough to to do this by himself? Because, of course, serial killers weren't really a thing in the nineteen seventies.
0: No, no, no. I, I think, I think, I. I I wouldn't be, I would not be stunned if it didn't emerge at some point. That you know, Gacy had accomplices in this. I mean, one of the one of the survivors, uh, a guy he picked up and uh, and raped, and uh, who sadly passed on from natural causes. But he recalls another person being in the room when he was, you know, he was drugged and and. But he recalls another person being in the room at the time. He wasn't sure who it was, but but he was certain there was another person there. And and you know, a number of experts have said that you know that it. It's, you know, highly likely that uh, uh, Gacy had accomplices. I mean, he's sending these guys that work for him into the uh, uh, storage space or, you know, the the space underneath his house. And, you know, it's going to reek down there for starters. Why are we throwing bags of lime down here? I mean, you know, I, I mean, quite frankly, you know, even... Even as a very young man, I would have uh, figured something out was terribly wrong right from the, right from that moment. So, so no, I, I think I, I think that in all likelihood there was accomplices in at least some of the kills.
2: Because he very much so almost, you know, I know they say he's the poster boy for capital punishment, but he's very much so wrote the handbook on how to be a serial killer. Almost, do you think that? He, I mean, I mean, he hates being compared to other serial killers. You know, he's he's showed distaste at being, you know, likened to Ted Bundy and Jeffrey Dahmer. Do you, why do you think that is? Do you think he sees himself as a more ethical killer? Or why do you think he has that kind of...
0: Gacy, uh, you know, if you tell yourself a lie enough times, you begin to believe it. And Gacy, Gacy... All those hours, you know, locked up on death row, he came to see himself as a victim, as, a, as the victim of a, a plot from the government and from the police and prosecutors and, and everything like that, right? And, and, you know, even his lawyer said said as much. That you know, gay he, ne- he never really took responsibility or did whatever he could to pass that responsibility on to others and you know, had argued that while well, I was out of town at this point and and there was one of the young men that that, you know, Gacy's right, the time the time doesn't seem to work, but you know, nonetheless, you know, he's a monster.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And he, another thing, I guess, that comes to mind when you're talking about serial killers and their psyche and why they do what they do is kind of that argument where people look at whether people are born to be serial killers or if they were just a victim of circumstance, you know, that nature versus nurture. What do you think is the case here for John Wayne Gacy?
0: Oh, I think it's, I think it's nurture. I mean, you know, uh, nurture, uh, the times he grew up in. Uh, you know, a whole raft of of things you know it's a serial killer or you know a cold-blooded killer of any kind. it's a, it's it's you know not a simple a plus B trip. It's a a plus B plus c plus f minus y plus Z and and uh, you know that these these little these little corners and turns, Went the wrong way, or he went the wrong way at these, you know, various and sundry moments in his life. You know, even if he had kept on with the secret life of, you know, uh, of uh, you know, homosexual liaisons and things like that. You know, I mean, not great for his wife and kids, but it's not really hurting anybody. But but the thing is, is that he got off on. Part of the part of the the, the, the psychi- or psychiatric aspect of it is is that he, in many ways, saw became his father in the ways he would torment uh, these boys, not just. Not just physically torturing them, but the w- but the way he would uh, torment them, and and he became John Stanley Gacy to their John Wayne Gacy as a child.
2: Mm-hmm. So it was, would you say, then a predisposition in terms of his his genetic makeup, the injuries to the head, all these, you know, little things along with how he was treated as a child. So, a bit of both?
0: Yes, yeah, exactly. Yes, I'd say both, absolutely. And, you know, it's, you know, an A plus B sort of thing or C and, you know, you know, multiply by the times, multiply by opportunity and, and there's John Wayne Gacy.
2: So here we are now, almost 50 years later, the case is still active. Last year, uh, one of the six remaining unidentified bodies, one of the unidentified victims, was identified. Um, do you think we'll see more IDs soon?
0: Well, there's five left, and um, there's five unidentified bodies left uh, uh, right now. Uh, I, I'm, I can't see that not happening, but the clock, the clock is... Uh, ticking, Um, you know, I mean, people are getting older and whatnot, but at that time, too, you know, some people didn't have dental records, there wasn't DNA, and on and on and on, and, you know, uh, with, you know, genealogy-based DNA now, that's answering a lot of questions in a lot of other, uh, uh, unsolved homicides as well. So I imagine that that will probably at some point, somebody, someday somebody will put it into the, uh, into the machine and, uh, and uh, they'll come back with a hit and uh, they'll have the names of uh, some of the others. I, you know, got hopes.
2: Hopefully, hopefully. Well, Brad Hunter, thank you so much. You are the author of Inside the Mind of John Ga- John Wayne Gacy, which is out this month.
0: Thanks.
1: You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free Sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.
0: Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro?